Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault cast, the show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week, we are crossing our wires because we are talking about the 1993 film, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I am the Pumpkin King! (laughs) I'm your host, Aiden Simons, who really can't make up his mind as to whether Halloween or Christmas is his favorite holiday. (laughs) And... With me this week is a writer, content creator, Nightmare Before Christmas super fan. Please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm John Hansen. And yeah, uh, super fan kind of puts it mildly. <laughs> I have a pretty bad addiction with just Jack Skellington and Nightmare Before Christmas in general. <laughs> yes, this is part of our Halloween October spooktacular. It's probably every episode probably going to have a different name for this, but each week we were talking about a different Halloween-esque movie. And even before, like, I had the idea of, like, making a Halloween theme month, like, you were like, oh, whenever you do Nightmare Before Christmas, let me know. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, perfect opportunity. And, I mean, I would ask why you picked Nightmare Before Christmas, but, I mean, it's pretty clear, like, this is, like, I mean, you think you told me this is your favorite movie, period. Yeah, no, this is absolutely my favorite movie of all time. I uh, just growing up watching it, like, I don't know what it was because especially as a little kid, I was terrified of anything scary. Like I could handle goosebumps, but like Mm -hmm. horror movies, like anything like with a spooky theme, I was like, nope, not about that. But whatever it is, I still don't know to this day, something about Nightmare Before Christmas as a kid just caught on to me and I would just watch it over and over again. Now I absolutely love it. So, I mean, kind of to expand upon that, what is your history with this movie? Like, how did you first encounter it? Or like, yeah, what was your first experience with this movie? Honestly, I can't remember the first time I watched it because I was so young. I was born in 1992, just a year before this movie came okay. out. So I just kind of grew up with it, I think. Uh, I just remember watching it at my dad's place and loving it, uh, along with some other Disney classics. But uh, Nightmare Before Christmas was always the one that came out on top. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but like it, it always just seemed so weird to me that this was a Disney movie that Disney didn't really want to take ownership of uh but regardless man i just love this movie yeah yeah we are gonna go a little bit into that a little bit later but it is so funny how like when this movie released disney was like "Mm, okay not really sure we want to you know kind of distance ourselves from this and now like flash forward to 2021 where it's like the one of their most heavily marketed franchises they've gotten it's so interesting yeah i i mean kind of the same for my history like i was born a a few years later so obviously the movie was out but i just remember my mom always really liking this movie like i just remember it's one of the movies we just always owned and i did not like see it as a disney movie for the longest time obviously i didn't know like touchstone was a disney thing Mm -hmm. until years later so i was just like this like weird clay motion movie and then it was just always like a constant thing in my life and yeah i kind of just like it's always there and i like i didn't really care for it all that much at first probably because i was just kind of like what is this weird christmas Mm -hmm. halloween mashup thing but now it's become slowly become one of like my favorite disney movies and one of my favorite movies ever i mean we're kind of go into that like later again but like i just love this how like 
unique this film is aesthetically like there really isn't much like it let alone in the Disney umbrella and it's just the great thing about it being basically both a Halloween and Christmas movie is that you can watch it you know you can watch it multiple times of the year and it'll still be seasonally appropriate. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then there's people like me that will watch it any time of the year. I'll watch it on Valentine's Day. It's the perfect <laughs> love story. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. And like, I mean, yeah, you talk about like how you like, like you weren't really a big horror fan as a kid. And like, I mean, I was like kind of as I loved Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, yeah, even though it's like very much a Halloween movie, it really is just more of like a romance movie at the end of the day. Like, it obviously it's like you got a lot of other stuff, but it really is just like kind of just a sweet romance story about Jack and Sally just coming together. Yeah. So last night when I rewatched this in preparation for this, uh, it, it was probably the first time I actually like started thinking about the the story structure as a whole, because just to be upfront, I'm a very easy person to please when it comes to movies. I don't get too critical about that. I leave that for video games. But this was the first time I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, this movie is really odd because you got, of course, the Halloween and Christmas thing. You got the kind of love story that they don't go into much. It just kind of gets thrown in there mm -hmm. when I think about it critically. And then uh, there's no like real underlying uh, message here for like a kid's movie. Like you get that a lot in kid's movies. Oh, don't steal. Don't, yeah. you know, don't be too proud, all that kind of stuff. And this one, what would the story be? Don't take over someone else's work because they do it better. Like it, there's nothing there for that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically like one of my like friends called, I like one of my friends called like Jack a Christmas colonizer, like basically in, encroaching on Christmas land and like, this is mine. I will take over now. Yeah, that, that's literally all it is. He's he's just tired of his job because he's been doing it for hundreds of years and he wants to try something new. What's the message there? Yeah, no, Which, don't get me wrong. It doesn't need a message. I love this movie. So this is a this is a weird movie because like watching it, I always forget how short this movie is. Like it's just barely over an hour. The dialogue in this film was very much it was very much songs first, then story. And you can definitely tell that while watching it. Like it, the the movie really is just like, a vehicle to show these songs like it's like the dialogue is really just a way to like get to the next song and it's so it's a it's like a I mean I love how fast paced it is I love how short it is but it's just it is just an odd movie overall oh yeah absolutely and that kind of goes back to the Disney not taking ownership of it because you see Touchstone Pictures and then you have this musical that is very much reliant on that music mm -hmm. uh, which which is amazing I'm sure we'll talk about that with oh yeah Danny Elfman uh yeah it's just it, it's such a weird movie and I love yeah. it for it for and for like all the ways it's like such a weird entry in the Disney canon it's also like very in line with what you expect from a Disney movie like obviously it's like musical there is a love story like you know obviously yes it's kind of like shoved in but it's it's just it's still a musical it just has a weird coat of paint on top of it yeah no absolutely uh there's just not much more to say to it besides it's just weird and yeah that 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 just fits tim burton in general which is mm -hmm. why he is my favorite probably my favorite like filmmaker there is mm -hmm. See the sun.
Everybody make us sing trick or treat Tell your neighbors come and die and fight Let's all tell Everybody scream It's time to I mean, yeah, speaking of Tim Burton, uh, let's go into the history a little bit. Um, of course, yes, the the namesake of the movie itself. I mean, obviously, I feel like at this point, people are pretty well aware that Tim Burton did not direct this film. But I mean, Disney wouldn't mind if you thought it because it literally is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, the official title. But um, this still is his idea. Um, first came to him while he was employed at Walt Disney Feature Animation, which is their main animation studio, obviously. Um, joined it immediately after graduating from CalArts, which if you've listened to any of these other episodes, you know, is like basically a breeding ground for the animation industry. He had some like, not minor, but like not like high profile roles at the studio. So like working as an animator, concept artist and storyboard artist working on films like Fox and the Hound, Tron, and The Black Cauldron. None of his work, though, that he made on these in terms of concept art were in the final product for any of these films. And it's some weird, like, I've looked at his, like, concept art for, like, The Black Cauldron. That's some weird stuff. And, like, I I don't like that movie particularly. But looking at his concept art, I'm like, maybe I would have liked it if it looked like this. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you on Black Cauldron that I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but uh, I'll have to look up that Tim Burton insp- uh, inspired stuff because uh, I, I never saw that kind of stuff. Um, when talking about like how this is Tim Burton's thing, uh, I love the backstory on that, how he was just in a mall or something and he saw a store that had Halloween decorations up and it was being taken over by Christmas decorations and yeah. that just kind of set him going. I love that story so much. I know I basically at this point, like in our current reality, we basically are living the Nightmare Before Christmas world because I mean, literally like we have Halloween decorations starting to come up in stores, um, Spirit Halloween. I literally just went to a Spirit Halloween yesterday. And just for those listening, we are recording this at the end of August and you literally get Halloween starting in October. And by the before Halloween is even over, you get Christmas mm-hmm. decorations. So we are living in the Nightmare Before Christmas reality. Yeah, absolutely. But even though he did work as kind of like a lower level employee at Disney Animation, he was still able to make his own projects while with Disney, including the stop motion short Vincent, which very much similarly aesthetic to um, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, Tim Burton kind of just has like this distinct visual aesthetic across most of his animated films. Um, Mm -hmm. He he did make this. I don't know if you've heard of this or seen this, this Hansel and Gretel TV special for the Disney Channel it is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Like it only aired once on Halloween and never aired again. And it's basically like was lost until someone just uploaded it on YouTube. That's definitely something I have to look up as well. I think I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it was like, I remember stumbling upon it because I Hansel and Gretel is like one of my favorite fairy tales. And I was like seeing if there were like any like major adaptations of it and I just thought it was like Tim Burton Disney Channel what and it's <laughs> I mean I don't have time to go into that but it is it's 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 something he also made the live action short Franklin Weenie which obviously as we know was also turned into a feature film many years later but it was during the production of Vincent where Burton wrote a poem called 
surprise, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, inspired by classic holiday shorts like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You've seen them. They're still on the air today. He wrote the poem and really had the idea of turning it into a television special, much like those other ones, and made concept art and storyboards and showed them to his fellow Disney animator, Henry Selleck, who we will circle back to in a moment. Don't you worry. He brought the idea to Disney, who decided to actually turn the idea into a television special, but they also thought maybe we could turn this into a film as well. But despite a positive start, uh, production did stall and the company found the film too weird, which was a contributing factor in Burton's eventual firing from Disney. Basically, they were like, we have no idea what to do with you, so we're just gonna cut you. Of course, Burton's career did flourish after that, directing massive hits like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman. And by this point in the 90s, like we're probably at the peak of Burton's career commercially. He's like, you know, I really like that Nightmare Before Christmas poem I wrote. I really want to still do something based on that. However, he found out that Disney still owned the rights to the story since there's this weird thing where Disney can basically claim any idea you have while working for them especially Mm -hmm. since they were like kind of actively working on it while he was working for them. Of course, because Burton was at the top of his game right now, Disney was like, yeah, we want to, we want to join forces with you. We'd love to work with you. And of course (laughs) now like, you're not weird at all. We like your stuff. Yeah. I mean, now Burton (laughs) is like, you know, one of Disney's go-to directors. They're just like Mm -hmm. call him up for literally any project and be like, direct this for us. Yeah, no. Give us that Burton flair that you have that Mm -hmm. not many people have. During this time, Disney was still riding high in the success of the Disney Renaissance, which, as we've talked about so many times, was just one of the most commercially successful periods for Disney. Um, They also saw us as a way to move animation as a medium forward, much like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which really was a contributing factor as well in making Disney the juggernaut it is. It was then, not, you know, also had to do with it being the juggernaut it is today. Unfortunately for Disney, though it was Burton's idea, he could not direct the film because he was too busy directing Batman Returns. And so Henry Selick, the guy who he originally showed the project to, was tapped as director. Um, Just to go into a little bit of Henry Selick's history, He also went to CalArts, was nominated for two Student Academy Awards, and first joined Walt Disney Studios as an in-betweener on films like Pete Dragon, so we are kind of going a little bit further back. He officially joined as a full-fledged animator on The Fox and the Hound, and after directing Nightmare Before Christmas, he mostly trafficked in the world of stop motion, um, directing films like James and the Giant Peach, also for Disney, and Coraline, which is a favorite of many during this time of the year. Oh, absolutely. Coraline is amazing. I know. Also a very Nightmare for Christmas-esque film, even though Tim oh, Burton absolutely. has nothing to do with that movie. Yeah. No, that is that is Henry Selleck saying, hey, remember that other movie I did? I'm going to get really creepy with another kid's movie here and just really freak some kids out and make another amazing movie. Yeah, I mean, we're like, whereas Nightmare Before Christmas really isn't a horror movie, Coraline definitely is a horror movie at the end it, of the day. It definitely could be there. That uh, The Other Mother is... Mm-hmm. This was his directorial debut, obviously. Yes, he has since directed many other films, but this was his first stab at it. So the only problem now was just turning a 
three, I think it was a three page poem into a full film. And so this is where Michael McDowell enters the picture. An accomplished novelist and screenwriter, McDowell already had history with Burton making the screenplay for Beetlejuice. And he has novels that traffic in the realm of gothic horror, which of course very much is in line with Nightmare Before Christmas, and has credits both on Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side TV shows. Burton and McDowell did have some creative differences, which we'll kind of go into a little bit later, but those creative differences were what inspired Burton to make this film a musical. Ultimately, he was diagnosed with AIDS two years after the film released and died in 1999, though he did have some health complications before then and was too ill to complete the project, which meant filming had to start before the script was complete, because if you know anything about stop motion animation, it is a long and hard and complex process, especially for a full film that it takes years. I mean, that's that's why this film is so short, probably, because it's such a long process to actually make. I was watching it last night on Disney plus and they have Mm. some of the cut content in there and uh, it might be Henry Selleck talking over it, but he's like, yeah, this was cut because of time restraints, which I really don't agree because it was only like 17 seconds, but uh, there's just so much there that they had to do first. You have to actually make all of the clay dolls and the set, and then you have to make all these different variations of every single character. Jack himself, his head Mm. uh, has numerous amounts of different just clay balls with him having different expressions that they have to swap out every single second it's a quite a process to take up yeah um speaking of disney plus i didn't really go into it i'm assuming you watch the um their the show prop culture on disney plus because they had a whole episode of night before christmas it was so cool just to see like the little like jack doll they had Mm -hmm. also uh henry selick has the Jack in the sleigh with all yeah. the skeleton reindeer. I absolutely recommend watching Prop Culture, at least for that. There's also an, uh, an excellent Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode oh, yeah. in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would love them to make a second season. I, like, binged that show when it came out because, like, that was, like, during, like, the height of, like, lockdown and everything. So I was like, oh, yeah. I'll just watch this. I mean, yeah, stop motion. I mean, there's a reason you don't really see a lot of full length features using it because it is quite time consuming and expensive. I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with, like, this um, actual um, point. But every time, like, someone pointed out to me the scene where, like, Oogie Boogie, like, dies and his bugs fall like you can literally just see that it's just someone just throwing the bugs into the cauldron and it's Mm -hmm. like I find it so funny like now that I watch it I'm just like oh it's so obvious oh yeah every time because when you have things that are falling it's I mean you can't yeah do that with a clay thing you'll just mess it up so like when he snaps the board over his knee and like tosses it it's Mm -hmm. just someone going in making the animations of him like moving his hands out but then once the board actually gets out of his hands it's just someone dropping it Mm -hmm. speaking of filming filming began in july of 1991 in san francisco taking place on over 20 sound stages and using over 120 crew members and the film also used over 227 puppets with um, speaking of Jack Skellington, um, in particular, having about 400 different heads, because I mean, mm-hmm. he's a very expressive character, oh, which is absolutely. actually like, especially considering like, this is a stop motion movie, like, it's kind of amazing that like, they decided to make him so expressive with his like, facial movements and actions, like just alone when he like, when he scares Lock, Shock and Barrel, just like by mm-hmm. like pulling his mouth. Yeah, like, that's got to be like, 
yeah I can't every imagine. single part of him pulling his mouth out is a different head yeah like oh, it's so the, just the amount of work that just went into that let's say two three seconds yeah like that's amazing <laughs> Mm-hmm. So while Jack had just full on different heads, Sally in particular had the same head the whole time with only her faces being removed and replaced without filming, mostly because her hair is pretty intricate and complex. So they want to keep that in place. And each face had about 10 expressions. So they were able to get a lot of mileage out of it. But just because, you know, she has that long red hair and it probably got to be really annoying to have to replace that specifically. Um, so they were definitely um, creative and like they really wanted to make the most out of this animation, which is notoriously tedious. And also going on that, uh, just going away from like the characters itself, Spiral Hill, uh, uh-huh. if you watch prop culture, the, the way that they got that to like actually like curl out and everything, there's yeah. like a whole machine built into it and everything. Uh, just think of like all the engineering that had to go into that, which is, I think, only it only happens one time in the film. Yeah. 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 So it's uh, a lot of work for every little thing. Uh, this clearly is a movie that is a labor of love, though. Like it, you don't really see a lot. I mean, obviously, like some stories have come out about like, you know, some disagreements and creative choices, but it doesn't seem like it was like that, like awful of a film to work on. But like, it just seems like this is a film just that's just filled with love and passion. And that definitely plays through like just watching like the animation itself. Like you definitely tell that these are people who like, were really passionate about what they were working on. Absolutely. Um, the production also, because this is a Disney joint, used talent from the proper Disney Animation Studio with Joe Ramp, with Joe Ramp, who was working at the time for Walt Disney Future Animation, working as a storyboard supervisor. Also, um, obviously, he was probably more known for his contributions to Pixar. Um, the studio itself also contributed to 2D animation in certain scenes and Finally, we need to talk about the music, which is probably one of the most important things of this film, like probably the things people most remember from this film. Of course, music done by Danny Elfman, who at this time was just beginning his career in film scores after his stint in the band Oingo Boingo. Um, His first project with Burton was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which obviously was Burton's first film. So very much, they very much, their career started about the same time. Um, Later followed that up with Beetlejuice and Batman before working on Nightmare Before Christmas. And as I said earlier, um, Burton decided to make the film a musical after after McDonald was unable to finish the script. And so songs for the film were written while the film simply had just a rough outline. And because of that, Burton and Elfman really saw this as more of like a sung through musical with with the songs being integral to actually pushing the film forward. And sometimes in musicals, you really song numbers are just really just to kind of tell you what characters are feeling. But every musical number in this really just drives the plot forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's, uh, of course, there is those things in there uh, showing how Jack feels. It's okay, I'm, I'm tired of Halloween. And then it's, Mm -hmm. oh, look at this new thing. What's this? What's this? This is amazing. Yeah, Uh, but those songs really do help push it forward. It's like, okay, this is his next step. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, because even the, those, the songs where he's just like, his lament is literally just like, go, it ends with him in the forest mm-hmm. that leads him to Christmas Town. And then obviously, yeah, what's this is just him like in exploring this place for the first time. And so, like, I mean, very much, I mean, I think I mentioned this earlier, but like, you really could just have this film just have songs. You could still get the, like, even just listening to the soundtrack, like, just on Spotify, you can still get the vague plot outline. 
I think the best example of that is the town meeting song where mm-hmm. it's kind of singing, but for the most part, it's just Jack having a town meeting. He's like, yeah, yeah, look at this box. And the whole crowd's like, oh, is there a head in there? What is it filled with pox? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? And it's, of course, there's the music undertones and everything, but it's not really a traditional song per oh. se. Yeah. And I feel like that is kind of also in a way makes it stand out from the traditional Disney musical because you don't really get those from like your, especially the 90s Renaissance Disney films. It's very much like, you know, the traditional like um, inner thoughts being expressed outwardly and don't sometimes move the plot forward, but mostly are just like diversions from the main plot moving forward. And so with songs written and a rough story outline, Caroline Thompson, who at the time was dating Elfman, was asked to come in and write the script around the completed songs. Uh, Real quick, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Prop Culture again, because in there, there's actually a moment where Caroline Thompson is talking about how she wrote the whole script for this. I think it was Uh, like within a week. Yeah. Danny Elfman like you said, was dating her and he actually didn't like the script. Mm-hmm. He he wanted her to redo it, but she sent it in anyway. Yeah. And I think um, if I remember correctly, she was really responsible for like kind of developing Sally as a character. I, I think. I believe so. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if I remember right, they go all over this in prop culture again. Mm-hmm. Please go watch that. It's very good. I, um, I went to watch it and I didn't wasn't able to. Yeah, uh, I I think before she actually put the personalization in the Sally, Sally was just kind of a side. She was kind of one of just the crowd that yeah. you see uh, at different points in the movie. Yeah. And like, obviously, in the final film, even though like, you know, like you said, like, you know, the romance kind of just doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't they don't really do much with the romance, but she very much is like the second main character of this movie. And Absolutely. yeah. Mr. I want to do it. Let's draw straws. Jack said we should work together. Three of a kind. Work together. Now, now and forever. In addition to doing the music, Elfman also did the singing voice for Jack, and there is a whole story involved in that. And we will get into that right now because we are talking about the voice cast headlined by Chris Sarandon as Jack Skellington. Um, this is probably his best known role, but outside of that, um, probably best known for his role in The Princess Bride as Prince Humperdinck and very good movie. Sarandon was not originally the voice of Jack. Originally, Elfman was supposed to do both the singing and speaking voice of Jack. However, while he was able to nail the singing, something about his actual performance in the story and speaking just didn't come together. And so Sarandon was cast and kind of asked to emulate what Elfman did in his singing performance. And while I think ultimately it was the correct choice, because I think Sarandon does a good job as Jack, it did contribute to a rift in Elfman and Burton's relationship, in addition to um, kind of creative issues on Batman Returns. Um, But that did lead to Elfman not scoring Burton's film Ed Wood, which was the first um, Tim Burton film not to be scored by Danny Elfman, though Elfman was not the voice of Jack in the end. He did provide the voice of Beryl. Mm-hmm. there's also a weird story in there like you said elfman was supposed to be just the jack voice in particular but i think there's also a story where uh so they went to chris sarandon and they're like hey 
do this song and now sing and they found out that he couldn't sing so they brought danny elfman back to do the singing voice so that's why you have the dual voices for one character yeah which is i mean a pretty common thing and especially as we go later on in the late 90s of disney films but it, it is there is kind of a disconnect in like in terms of his singing and speaking voice like they you can kind of tell it's the same character but you can also tell it's like different people doing it but I do find it interesting because like I'm you have you played I mean we're gonna touch on it a little in a little bit but have you played like the Oogie's Revenge video game I've always wanted to but I haven't I've, okay. I've only played uh Kingdom Hearts for the okay. video game stuff yeah which I mean me as well um I've seen clips of it and like he does Chris Randon does do the singing voice of Jack in that game and then like it's mm-hmm. it's like pretty okay like it's not bad by any means so I don't know it's like a weird like you know just a weird story all around oh absolutely also in the cast is Catherine O'Hara as Sally also the voice of shock in the lock shock and barrel trio um who was actually nervous about her singing the movie as it was something she really didn't have much experience with but I think that ultimately paid off because you know because Sally really is kind of like this this innocent character and that really does come through in her performance I feel like in that song Oh, absolutely. Sally's song is amazing. I can't think of anyone else doing that song uh, in there. If if you had that moment where you had a new actress come in to sing that, I think it would be much worse. And also her parts as Shock in Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very different tone in every yeah. time she fails it. I, they did like a live performance at the Hollywood mm-hmm. Bowl, like with like the cast. And like, it's so funny just seeing um Catherine O'Hara perform both as Sally and Shock live just the way she like trend like switches her voices between the performances I mean if you've seen Schitt's Creek you know like she can like really just kind of change her voice because like she spe- basically does that whole show in just a completely different voice mm-hmm. than her normal one so she is like re- I, I, I kind of like underrated in her ability to kind of like switch up her voice yeah it's so great um, we also have Ken Page's Oogie Boogie. And speaking of Oogie Boogie, I'm sure you know about this if you, you knew about this, but like an original story idea when the first film was first being developed was Oogie Boogie actually being Dr. Finkelstein in disguise, wanting revenge on Jack and Sally for some reason. And like they, like you can see the deleted clip of it. I don't know if that's on it's Disney+. It's on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Okay, yeah, I was it's probably on YouTube otherwise, but... Obviously, this idea didn't make it very far, but what a weird idea that would have been. Yeah, so they they had drawn up the scene. They hadn't gotten to animating yet, but it's literally once uh, Jack goes to tear Oogie's uh, cloth off, instead of bugs underneath, it's mm-hmm. Dr. Finkelstein who is, is standing. We never yeah. see him do that at any other time. And it had something to do with he he's mad that he created Sally and Sally loves Jack. That's the problem. So he says, okay, I'm going to go create my own. I'm going to go create something new that will love me and mm-hmm. take care of me. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. I mean, 
the Sally Dr. Finkelstein relationship in the movie is pretty weird art in like the movie we actually get. Um, but thankfully his level of possession does not drive him to become evil and he gets to create his own little wife caretaker. caretaker. One, eh. one thing there, he's got Igor. Yeah. <laughs> is Igor just not good? He, he obviously uh, relies on Igor to draw up plans for mm-hmm. his inventions because it's not him that makes the plans for the skeleton reindeer. It's Igor coming up with the plans. He's like, hey, this is what I got. He's like, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like there's a, I I feel like there is a lot in this movie as well, as much as I love it. There's a lot in this movie that really isn't like expanded upon that really, really would have benefited from it. But of course, you know, probably because it's hard to make a stop motion movie. But yeah, there really is a lot unexplained with Dr. Finkelstein in particular. Like, you know, like, obviously, we don't, we kind of get the bullet points of his and Sally's relationship, but like, we don't really get a lot of it. Like, what is his relationship with Igor? What exactly is his relationship with Sally? Like, there is, I feel like of all like the quote unquote main characters, he's probably like the least developed. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I'm so glad they didn't go with this uh, Oogie Boogie disguise. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and it's just such a funny, like, end to the character of Oogie Boogie just the mound of bugs in the shape of his sack and then just them all falling and just like yeah as my bugs my bugs just like just Mm -hmm. pure terror in his voice I think it's and it like yeah it does it makes him more intimidating I feel like just like if it's just like a classic like you know Scooby-Doo unmasking thing I feel like it really would have taken away from like a character that's ultimately like kind of like one of Disney's more threatening villains, I feel like, despite his like whole like musical number and the fact that he like makes a lot of jokes and quips, I feel like he is one of Disney's his, more threatening villains. The whole story here is that he is the boogeyman and he's going, he's making a meal for himself. He wants to eat Santa Claus and Sally. He's mm-hmm. not throwing them into that hot pot for nothing. Like, oh yeah, that's actually very terrifying if you think about it. Like, if Jack doesn't appear for just a few seconds they're yeah. dumped in there and he's having food uh mm-hmm. i i wonder if if they did stick with the dr finkelstein thing like was he gonna try and eat them like i don't understand that whole storyboard um one really quick thing i want to bring up to you is let's say in some alternate universe uh disney makes a prequel for this uh i i would love to see uh oogie boogie's origins because mm-hmm. the way that he falls out there, it makes it look like it's just one bug that is yeah. actually Oogie oh, yeah. Boogie that gets stomped on by Santa His Claus. brain, yeah. Yeah, and he's controlling the other bugs. Like, yeah. it, just that idea. They don't go into it in this movie, obviously, because time and everything. But that's that's a creepy idea, especially for a Disney movie. Oh, yeah, because I mean, like, bugs are, like, one of the most common fears people have. So, like, the fact that he literally just is, like, made up of hundreds thousands maybe of bugs is like you know like really preying on um some fears there and they they I mean again going with like um they did make kind of a prequel for a video game but like they didn't really go into Oogie's origin story like he was already a thing so it would be something interesting I mean but on the other hand I do like um when villains just like exist you know like they kind of just like are there we don't really get much explanation they're just there and that's it but yeah he does that better than anyone yeah um which is why i'm a little disappointed in their whole like trend of like you know making movies about their villains Mm -hmm. but also like do the 
do the people of Halloween Town, like, or at least Jack, know what Oogie Boogie is? Do they know he's just a sack full of bugs? I mean, I don't, because I mean, he sees the string and he's like, oh, this will, this will get him. Yeah, this, this will just work. He, he's obviously, yeah, I, I would imagine that the Halloween Town uh, villagers, they, they have a good idea on everyone because, I mean, you, there's a ton of classics in here. There's a, uh, of course, you have the literal devil as a character, mm-hmm. yeah. who's a very small character. You've got vampires. Uh, there's even Easter eggs in here where you can see Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, the Grim Reaper is in there. So these guys, I would imagine this is kind of like a, uh, oh, what's the Adam Sandler Halloween uh, Hotel Transylvania? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I imagine it's kind of something like that where this group, they, they all know each other. They respect mm-hmm. each other. But yeah, I would imagine they would have an idea of who Oogie Boogie is. Yeah, I do find it funny how, like, everyone knows Oogie Boogie is, like, evil, but they still just allow him to just, like, chill in Halloween. Even though he's, like, stuck in his lair, they let him chill. And, like, they even let him, like, be, like, part of the Halloween town so Halloween celebration. The one thing I never understood was the shadow on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> because that's straight up Oogie Boogie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh hey guys the evil guy he's uh taking he's, over the moon <laughs> yeah he's like part of your halloween celebration and are, are you okay with that yeah like, yeah i mean it's probably just so we like n- get an idea of who he is because he's not in this film very much at all. like he's not introduced yeah. until like after the halfway point i think i'd and, say like, two-thirds in yeah yeah so like maybe it was just a way to like so we like can actually be introduced to him but yeah it is it's always been one of my like not like a you know obviously like a sticking point for me but it's also been one of those like huh weird things <laughs> yeah i at the end of the day though i absolutely love oogie boogie i love his oh, yeah. kind of like jazzy song and his feel mm-hmm. and he's a gambling man oh, yeah so great man um, kind of a tangent a little bit, but um, I am in California near Disneyland and every year for Halloween, they, well, obviously not last year, but um, for Halloween, they have like their Halloween party and it's called the Oogie Boogie Bash. So like they have like this just like Oogie Boogie cut out like on top of the front gate of the park. Like you hear him like laughing throughout the whole event when they play their Halloween music, like on the park's like little icon, they have projection of like gambling imagery and like you can actually like do this trick-or-treat trails with Oogie Boogie kind of like standing over you like with like that has a whole gambling theme and it's a it's a really cool like th- event yeah I, I Disneyland has some really cool stuff like with uh, the Haunted Mansion being mm-hmm. taken over uh, I really want to go out there for that I've never been I, I live in Iowa so I yeah I'm a bit away but uh I, it, it's really cool how of course, Jack Skellington and Sally, like those, these are the two top two characters of this yeah. uh, movie. They're obviously going to be blown up and everything mm-hmm. when this movie came back with the Hot Topic crowd, people mm-hmm. like me. Um, but Oogie Boogie has really seen that kind of resurgence as well at the oh, same yeah. time. Yeah, I think it's maybe because just, you know, it is such a unique design of a character and like nine times out of 10, the villains are the more fun characters because they are allowed to like let loose and let's like go wild. And so, yeah, I think I it, it is really cool to see him like become like one of Disney's like top villains. Mm-hmm. Um, Just quick hits on the rest of the cast. Um, Paul Rubens completing the trio of Lock, Shock and Barrel, obviously a Burton regular, not a big, not a like major role, but still there. And Ed Ivory as Santa, who is 
pretty like basically an unknown actor like this isn't like he's not really like known for anything um but this role was originally written for vincent price who i mean if you know anything about tim burton he is a vincent price fanboy um he did record the opening and ending narrations uh, however his wife did recently pass away when he went to record it and that really affected his performance like it just wasn't working and so they decided to instead have patrick stewart do the narration of the um opening and ending and this was originally when the poem itself that Burton wrote was supposed to be a more major presence throughout the whole um, film, kind of like, you know, classic Christmas specials where they get narrations throughout the whole thing. But they decided to go into a different direction and instead have Santa Claus record the opening and ending. And then, well, just the opening, I think. Yeah, they decided to have it's Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah, they decided to have Santa Claus do the opening. And so Patrick Stewart was cut from the film, though he is still on the soundtrack in the at the end of the day if you have the soundtrack cd i want to say it's like the second to last track he talks i mean he also is on the opening too like the like opening like narration like that's patrick stewart as well it is the um was a long time ago yeah 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 and like it's expanded too from the film as well because oh, I was yeah. just listening to it. So after about two years of production, Nightmare Before Christmas did premiere on October 9th at the New York Film Festival and released on October 29th, 1993, though it was interestingly not released under the Walt Disney Pictures banner because, you know, in line with Disney's attitude toward Burton at that time, Disney thought it was too dark and weird and scary so they're like mm, maybe we'll like distance ourselves from this project so they released it under disney's now i think it's defunct um adult label touchstone pictures and they also to attract more of an audience decide to call it officially tim burton's the nightmare before christmas though burton himself wasn't really a big fan of this decision because he was like okay you're turning me into a brand feel a little weird about that. Despite that, though, it did receive critical acclaim from critics due to its unique story and, and its soundtrack, among other things, and was a moderate hit at the box office. Nothing like setting the world on fire, but definitely um, respectable numbers, earning about 50 million on a 25 million budget. So it was like, you know, it was a moderate success though it was once at the home video market when it really began to gain popularity and since then the um, film's popularity has began to gradually increase mostly like you said the the hot topic the mall goth crowd i mean that is like their My bread people. and butter and it ultimately culminated in a 2006 3D re-release. And this time, Disney did decide to fully embrace the film, releasing under Walt Disney Pictures, calling it Disney's The Nightmare Before Christmas, all that. And the first reissue earned about $11 million, which is pretty impressive. And so they decided to, again, re-release the film in 2007, 2008, and 2009, bringing the box office total to about $90 million. They also just recently re-released it last October when like Disney was releasing all their older films because they weren't releasing new ones. And it has since become a major, major franchise for Disney, especially during the Halloween season, like basically... All of their Halloween merch is either going to be Hocus Pocus or Nightmare for Christmas. I mean, I like I said, I just went to Spirit Halloween yesterday and there's just the whole Nightmare for Christmas section just full of Nightmare for Christmas merch, costumes, apparel, 
everything. And you mentioned it a little earlier, but it also became the basis of a seasonal overlay of one of Disneyland's most iconic attractions, the Haunted Mansion, um, which first began in 2001 and has continued every year that the park has been open since. And basically, yeah, they just take the normal Haunted Mansion ride and kind of like completely turn it into a Nightmare Before Christmas ride. You get animatronics of Jack, Sally, Boogie Boogie. You get like Nightmare Before Christmas themed decorations everywhere. It was my, I had my first experience with it last year and it was actually like really like impressive what they did with like just what is basically just like throwing Nightmare Before Christmas on an established ride. Yeah, uh, this whole thing with Disney is uh, Disney definitely got like the better end of this because as you said, they kind of went in. They're like, hey, this is weird. We, we want Tim Burton's name on it because he's so popular now and everything. But they were very uh, skittish about this, let's say. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if this fails, we're not putting our name on it. So they yeah. just kind of threw it out there. I, I would imagine they kind of threw it out there just to throw it out there, just to see what happens. And then about a decade later, the hot topic crowd and everything they they come in and they're like oh hey what's this mm-hmm. <laughs> we we got we got some more money to make here disney has banked on this franchise so much more than they thought they would originally. oh yeah without making another movie without putting out any other media except for some video game stuff um they just put out merchandise and it's it's got to be one of their best selling things oh yeah Oh, yeah, it is like Disney's like besides like the Disney villains and like, I guess, kind of Alice in Wonderland in some respects. It is like Disney's one like pathway to the goth crowd. Yeah. And also interest funny, I just need to shout out that like you can also meet Jack and Sally at their theme parks during the Halloween time. And the Jack Skellington costume is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I don't know if you've ever seen I've How seen it on it? YouTube. Uh, it it at first when I first saw it, I remember it looking weird because I mean Jack's head is a circle and they don't like give him a mask or anything. It's just a human with a painted mm-hmm. Jack Skellington uh, face. At least unless they've updated it, I haven't seen if they've updated it. But uh, it it's always made me go like, oh, I want to see him. I want to meet him. Yeah. It is cool. Like I've met um, Jack and Sally. It's really cool. Yeah. How they do is like they do like it's like the top half is a mask because obviously you can't really make someone have like completely black eyes. And then like the bottom half is like just the normal face with like painted features. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a weirdly shaped head. It's really cool to meet him because obviously like, you know, it's always fun to meet your favorite characters. And I get it because they want Jack to be able to talk to you, which they can't really do. Otherwise, it is a it's a. It's interesting. Speaking of like, you know, the popularity of the film um, right now, it doesn't seem like a sequel is really in the cards, though rumors of one pop up every so often. In 2001 in particular, there was a rumor of Disney wanted to make a sequel using computer animation instead of stop motion animation, though Burton was able to get the idea scrapped. He's like, no, you're not doing this. Please don't do this. No. Um And then in 2019, it was reported that Disney was considering either a stop motion sequel or a live action remake, which, you know, Disney is all about these days. Yeah. Um, Don't know how that would work in the slightest. Mm, No, I I, I know there are a lot of people that don't like the live action remakes. Mm. I I do. I like like I said at the beginning of this, I'm a very easy person to please. 
I don't go in the movies thinking critically or anything. So I enjoy them for what they are. Not Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't think that would fit at all. If if they were ever to make a sequel, a prequel, whatever they were going to make, I think it has to be another stop motion movie and yeah. you have to have tim burton and henry Selick attached to it yeah um if anything just for the fans because if anyone is else is there you're really uh yeah. setting yourself up for failure i mean i could definitely see i mean obviously tim burton and disney still have a i mean i think their relationship is okay i don't know if he's dumbo direct, so but dumbo also like kind of flopped at the box office so we'll see yeah. What that? I mean, I know Tim Burton is busy right now because he has that whole like Adam's Family TV show, which a TV show is a long commitment. So, um, though you know, who knows? Because nothing has come from either of those reports um, since the initial like report came out. Um, we shall see. It did technically get a sequel in video game form with 2004's Oogie's Revenge, which is it's a weird game. It's like Jack Skellington goes for like a year-long like expedition and then returns to see that Oogie Boogie has like taken over Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. It's also a musical. It's weird. Um, developed by Capcom and it also releases alongside a video game prequel, The Pumpkin King, which really doesn't do that much in terms of being a prequel. Like it shows how Jack became the pumpkin king of Halloween Town, but besides that, like it doesn't really dive deep into anything. I also recently, while doing research for this, found out they're making a sequel in novel form for a young adult audience. Yeah, that I, I saw your uh, notes on that, and I hadn't heard of that either. Um, that's very interesting. Yeah, um, it's supposed to be told from Sally's point of view, which I mean, cool. Glad that she's getting more development. Um, announced in February of 2021 with a 2022 release. I, I, I've noticed that Disney's been kind of doing this thing lately. I think I saw like they're making a Brave sequel book. And um, I did my I did a Hocus Pocus episode. They said they, they did a sequel to the Hocus Pocus in book form. So I don't know, maybe... That's 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 a weird one because people want that sequel. I think uh, a lot of people like me, we don't really need a sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I do think the book idea is interesting though, especially with Sally kind of being like the narrator and everything. Yeah. That is a really cool idea, like giving us the uh, direct uh, things that happen directly after, because like you mentioned, the video game, it's Oogie Boogie coming back and taking revenge and everything, but in the movie that brain that bug is squashed and he's dead yeah uh, it doesn't really make sense for him to come back and everything although we're talking about halloween creatures here so who knows there's probably some resurrection yeah. and everything they can do but i'm interested in this book i'm not much for a movie sequel and everything but this book could be yeah. like what do jack and sally do after they get together because the end of this movie is them getting together they kiss on the hill Mm-hmm. And that's it. We haven't heard anything about their relationship. Did they have any problems? Does yeah. Dr. Finkelstein have an issue with this? They could go back into that idea, but do mm-hmm. something better. Uh, there's a lot of room that they could go there with a book. So yeah. it's interesting. I'm still hesitant on a movie. Yeah, um, we shall see. It doesn't look like any film sequels on the horizon. I mean, never say never, I guess. I mean, like going back to the Hocus Pocus thing, we are getting a sequel to that movie, which came out the same year as Nightmare Before Christmas. So 
who's to say though despite that the film's popularity does not look like it's dwindling anytime soon as long as there will be hot topic stores in the malls there will be an audience for this movie just keep putting out that merchandise and i'll keep buying it mm-hmm. well 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 what have we here santa claus huh Ooh, i'm really scared so you're the one everybody's talking about <laughs> you're joking you're joking i can't believe my eyes you're joking me you gotta be this can't be the right guy he's ancient going on to the film itself i just really want to take a moment to talk about this like how awesome this art direction in this film is like the, the design of the characters the design of halloween town it's such like a unique like every character is like completely different has a complete different silhouette it's really good Oh, it's so great. And I think we're now starting to see people like us that grew up with this movie. uh, You're starting to see the inspirations of that in other Mm -hmm. media, especially video games. I won't go into that too much, but uh, there is uh, a game, Don't Starve, which is, it looks like a straight up Tim Burton game. And then there's also a a game coming out called Lost in Random, which is very Tim Burton-esque as well. So you're starting to see that the inspirations for that coming out. I don't think I've seen too much of it in movie form. At least I can't think of anything off the top of my head that isn't Henry Selleck. Yeah. Um, The art direction is just iconic, to me at least. I I think it's uh, definitely an area you don't see too much of. I love the the lines that they put into everything the um i think there's an art term for it uh it's been so long since i was in art school i think it's called like hatching cross hatching something like that yeah i just love it it's in jack's suit it's in the background i Mm -hmm. absolutely love it yeah i have not heard obviously i've heard of don't starve um but i've never heard of lost in random and i'm like oh wait i actually this game looks very good. Well, obviously I haven't looked at any gameplay of it, but I'm like, wait, I actually am interested in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just absolutely love the fact that people are, it, you can just tell by looking at it that, oh yeah, this is Nightmare Before Christmas inspired. Like, yeah, it's just written all over it. It's funny because like everyone talks about like the Tim Burton like look and aesthetic. And like, I mean, you, you kind of sometimes get it in his live action films, but it's harder to like create like, a unique visual like identity like in a live action as opposed to an animated film and I th- it's really his animated films like I mean he only has like mm-hmm. a couple but it's like this is like definitely like I feel like when we first got the timber and aesthetic you think of when people talk about that is in this movie yeah I don't think we've seen anything that like looks like 100% iconically Tim Burton uh outside of Frankenweenie lately yeah um probably no. the closest thing would be Alice in Wonderland Mm, yeah the live action remake but that's that's just its own thing I don't think it that's not really a that's like a weird thing and you're like oh it's weird so it's timber and it's not oh this is black and it's got these weird character caricatures Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's uh definitely its own thing I think it's like, and obviously like Corpse Bride, which isn't a Disney joint, but like very much looks oh, yeah, almost Bride. exactly Absolutely. like Nightmare for Christmas. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally agree. Like, I think the last time we really got like the timber and like flair as like we know it, it was Frank and Weenie. Alice in Wonderland kind of was just like, that's just like a bunch of green screen. So it's like not really mm-hmm. anything special. Yeah. And like Dumbo, I mean, Dumbo kind of, because you have that whole like, 
circus vibe, which kind of fits in with that. But yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, when this is like very much, this is probably the most timber in ass timber in movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. And something I wanted to like point out with like, I don't know if this is being controversial or anything, but like, I, I do like Jack Skellington as a character. The more I watch this movie, I'm like, the more I'm like, my, my guy, you need to like calm down. (laughs) You are like, not helping your case at all in terms like I'm just like oh let me look at I see his Christmas time let me just like yoink this guy from his job and then when Mm -hmm. Sally's like Jack I am worried about you dying and and he completely pushes her off yeah yeah and it's like Jack for being a hero he does have a lot of like unlikable moments which is like it's really interesting looking like especially after watching the film so many times Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely understand that criticism because uh, it's truly he becomes obsessed with Christmas. Uh, he is so tired of doing Halloween. He's like, I just need a break. Anything besides Halloween at the moment. And mm-hmm. I, there's actually a song just called Jack's Obsession. It's yeah, it's him just going crazy about Christmas. He's not listening to anyone. He's he's directly telling them, hey, you have to do this. He's going to all the villagers of Halloween Town. He's like, hey, you have to do this. We need Christmas to be perfect. We have to make this uh, a thing. And then, yeah, he kidnaps Santa Claus. Like, it's not... He literally tells the, the best trick-or-treaters in Halloween Town, hey, go and take this guy out. I need him out so I can take over his job. I need to do this. Yeah. And it's like, why would you go to Oogie Boogie's henchmen tell and expect them not to give Santa or Sandy Claus to Oogie Boogie? Like, mm-hmm. you're literally setting yourself up for failure there. Yeah. I also think, uh, obviously, we don't know much about the outside characters, but it's yeah. very much him looking at the town. He's like, well, I've got so much to do. I have to, um, mm-hmm. uh, I have to push this off on someone else. Yeah. Who do I have? Well, the vampires won't do it. <laughs> Undersea gal won't do it. The behemoth will just kill him. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just him looking at. It, he's like, I need someone that can play a trick because I don't think he wants to hurt Santa Claus. No, not at obviously. all. Obviously, but he just wants him out of the picture for a night so he can have his fun. Mm-hmm. I know. I wonder, like, what? Obviously, I you know. I think Jack was like not no intention because I mean, at the end of the day, like, despite his like obsessions, um, he is a good guy. Like, I don't think he had ever. I'm, I but I am like wondering, like, what was he planning on doing? Like, where is he planning on just like holding him? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you would think if he got that far, he's like, okay, take him, bring him to this place. All he says is make him comfortable. Like I think yeah. he, his idea is just, Oh, let him enjoy Halloween town. I've gotten mm-hmm. to see Christmas town. I've gotten to enjoy his life. Let I want him to see yeah. my life, but I'm too busy taking over his job. That's kind of the way I look at it. The smart thing would have been like, they bring Santa Claus to him and then Jack goes, okay, perfect. Now let me handle this. Let me take mm-hmm. him somewhere nice. But I mean, yeah. then we wouldn't get the conflict at the end of the movie. Yeah. And also that I think that just speaks to his obsession again. He's like, I, yeah. at, that, at that moment where Santa Claus comes in, he's like, okay, what's wrong? There's something missing with my suit. Oh, the hat. Okay. And then he instantly goes to, okay, now I have to get the personification of Santa down. Ho, ho, ho. Mm -hmm. Ho, ho, ho. It's just his obsession. And it's all he is thinking about. He's not thinking about anything else. He's not thinking or listening to Sally. He's not 
thinking about the well-being of the villagers uh thank god none of them actually went on the yeah. sleigh with him oh yeah so yeah it's just him he's just so one trek minded the yeah. entire time and i kind of like how that is like basically his defining personality trait is that he's obsessive like because i mean again you mentioned kingdom hearts and like while kingdom hearts 2 kind of goes into the like retelling the movie's plot kingdom hearts 1 is literally like oh i these heartless guys like they'll be good for Halloween. And like, that's literally like his, he just like is one track mind. He's like oh, yeah. not thinking about how that will be like bad, how that's a bad idea. He's like, no, these will be fun. We can control them. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah. This, this is going to be the best Halloween ever. Let's get these guys that steal people's hearts. Yeah. No. And like, I do like how like that is like his character. Trait. Yeah. I mean, like, and at the end of the day, yeah, he's not a bad guy by any means. He's just like, he just is very, he gets tunnel vision a lot. Yeah, very much. He's very focused on his holiday. And then when he's tired of that holiday, he wants a new holiday, but he wants it to be his. Mm-hmm. I really like, and I'm I'm curious now, like if his whole Christmas thing t- was successful somehow, like what would he have done next? Would he have gone back to Halloween? Would he have continued stealing Christmas or would he go to Easter yeah. day? Yeah, let's say he comes back in, he lands and let's say Lock, Shock, and Barrel didn't take Sandy Claus the Oogie Boogie and he was in Halloween Town. He goes to him. Does he say, oh, here, thank you. Enjoy your yeah. holiday. That was so much fun. Back to my stuff. I don't think so. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think he would try and just keep Christmas for himself. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get sick of Christmas and yep. do another holiday. Uh, then it's on to the Easter Bunny. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what else was there? Was there St. Patrick's Day? Well, there were all kinds of doors. Yeah. There was Valentine's Day and everything. But the only actual other seasonal character we see is the Easter Bunny. I want to know what the Valentine's Day world is like. <laughs> right? Would it be him taking down Cupid? Probably. But then would that push forward his and Sally's relationship? Or would he just be so focused on having other people fall in love through scaring each other? Probably the latter. Yeah. Because it's it's not him, like that's the thing with Christmas is he's, he sees this and he's like, Oh, let me uh, inject my own flair into this. And it's, it's not the Christmas we all know it's Mm -hmm. Jack's kind of Christmas. So it would be Jack's Easter, Jack's Valentine's day, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's so interesting because like, yeah, he basically, despite wanting to do Christmas, he basically is just turning Christmas into Halloween. He's basically doing just another Halloween, just with a, different coat of paint on it yeah absolutely <laughs> um so after you know our character assassination of jack skellington um i i mean we talked about we little we teased it a little bit we talked about a little bit before but um i mean i just yeah i feel like we really do need to just go all in on the soundtrack because it is like probably the at least it's my favorite part about this whole movie is the soundtrack yeah uh, that is the thing that sticks out above everything else as much as i love jack i love the characters i love the story the music is at the top of the list i mean we talk, we already talked about this but like the way like it so smartly does just like move the plot forward like this is halloween just introduces you to it it tells you everything you need to know about what this place is and what they do um like what's this is just him discovering like finding the um christmas town and like and it's creating his obsession um obviously kidnap the sandy claws is literally them coming up with a plan to kidnap santa so it's like there's no one song that really just like 
pauses the plot. They all like, I mean, maybe Sally's song, but even then, like it kind of like it, it leads it's to her, her going over like, oh no, I'm very worried about this yeah. person I care about. Yeah, it leads to her like going to Santa and like kind of putting the third final act into motion. Mm -hmm. I think probably the best thing they ever did with this movie from a a soundtrack uh, thing is not having Jack involved at all in the first song. This is Halloween. Yeah, it is. It it really expands the course you're like oh this is an entire town of Halloween creatures Mm -hmm. and yeah Jack's the leader and they're they're praising him that's what this is it's we're so excited for another Halloween here's our hero Jack if if Jack had started because Jack is technically the first person you see in this film because he's in the scarecrow but you don't know that until the end of the song Mm -hmm. if it was him just popping off there and singing the entire time you're like okay well this is just a Jack story which at the end of the day that's what this kind of is but it just helps expand that world a little bit I think yeah no it is such a good payoff because it's like yeah like you see all these Halloween monsters like it tells you what they do it shows you that this is like a community of Halloween monsters that like they basically their entire existence is to celebrate Halloween and then yeah at the end of the day like you get like the this the head honcho of it all and it's like I it's such a good sequence like that whole song is so good and then the way they yeah they just like First, they have him in the scarecrow, and then, like, obviously, scarecrow sets on fire. Like, he slowly emerges from the fountain, and just everything. It's such a good um, opening. I asked you, ask what is your favorite song from this soundtrack? Oh man, I go ask me tomorrow, and it's something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the one I go to the most is "What's This." Yeah, it's just the joy that he has and everything. Um, Danny Elfman just going through everything it's oh there's lights everywhere oh what's in here oh that's so weird oh i love this this is so cool this is it's like a kid in a candy shop that's really what it is um but like i said i love this is halloween uh probably one of the more underrated ones i think is jack's lament which is after he gets shot down from yeah oh i really like that one yeah i love that one i love that it's somber and it's him going through everything he's like why didn't they see my my great plan this was supposed to be amazing mm-hmm. like and, and i think at this point where he there's this moment where he's like oh wait a minute i am the pumpkin i and know he, he that is such an amazing moment and it really makes me think that jack became so obsessed with this christmas idea that he literally was not thinking about halloween at all no. like he he completely forgot that that was a thing that he did yeah um it just that I don't know what to call it. Vindication. It's just, oh yeah, I am this yeah. important thing. I'm not gonna die. Like I'm already dead. Yeah. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna show them. Like, yeah, no, this Christmas thing. <laughs> screw that. I've got great ideas for Halloween. Yeah, and like I said, another way of just like pulling, pushing the plot forward. It's his lowest moment. He's like, I've literally, quite literally, been shot down by the by the army, mm-hmm. and it's like, but wait, no, no, like I'm not giving up. Like no, I am I'm coming back. I'm gonna be better than ever. Yeah. Um, and then of course the ending song is also mm-hmm. amazing, where they combine. Oh yeah. This is Halloween. What's this? There's a little bit of Sally song there too, mm-hmm. but the very ending with Jack walking up Spiral Hill and singing the Sally and then yeah. they finally get together. Just that is the perfect ending. for It this really movie. is. 
I, it really is such a good ending. It, yeah, it basically combines like almost every song in the in the soundtrack. Like it's like the perfect way to end like this movie that is about the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and I, uh, again going back to my point about this is Halloween. Um, it's not Jack singing it until the very end. Mm-hmm. It is the Halloween time. We're back to oh wait, this is what Jack saw. This is amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we get this now. Why he was all into this. Um, Yeah, it's so good. And like, it's not the ending song, but I I do find it like the way that like Santa just like leaves. It's like talking about Sally's like, you're she's the only one with any sense in this town (laughs) i think it's like that's like that's honestly my favorite line from the whole movie yeah she's the only one that makes sense in this insane asylum (laughs) it's so good because i mean Um, it's true yeah and of course kidnap sandy claus is amazing uh you pointed out the live performance earlier uh yeah there's a video on youtube of danny elfman paul rubens and Catherine o'hara all singing their parts together and it's it's just perfect um oogie song that's so good i love it just so good there's it's also cut down in the movie there's expanded things in the soundtrack Mm -hmm. to it and everything going on about his favorite meals if i remember right and how he loves cooking them yeah (laughs) so creepy and perfect yeah and it's just like a jazz show like all of a sudden just in this torture chamber like he's completely off of anything else in the movie oh yeah which i mean i've talked about this a few times in this podcast but the fact that like disney doesn't really do traditional villains anymore is kind of a shame because like everyone loves the villain songs because those are like the time you have the most fun is during the villain song oh yeah absolutely and it's just like yeah this twisted gambling imagery i i always think about the one where like it's like the bug just like drops onto Santa's beard and just crawls into it. I'm just like, oh, oh. yeah, yeah I, I really think if there was going to be a sequel, what if uh, it's Santa Claus gets home and then the the bug comes out of his beard and, and just like <laughs> winks at the camera? <laughs> it's oh, like, God. Oh, no, Oogie's back. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if they do, I mean, kind of going to a point, I feel like if they do do a sequel, like I feel like. I mean, maybe they don't have to bring Oogie Boogie back, but I feel like they also kind of have to because he is, like you said, the most popular character outside of Jack and Sally. When I think of if there is a sequel, yeah, Oogie Boogie being resurrected is one. Um, I also think, what if someone came to challenge Jack for his throne Mm -hmm. as Pumpkin King? That could be an interesting story. Uh, Of course, we want to see what happens with Sally afterwards. There, There are areas they could go to, but without Mm. tim burton and henry Selleck, i don't want it at least one of those two have to be attached it would be really interesting to see how this whole ordeal really just affects the holidays because like obviously christmas and halloween have like kind of interacted so i wonder if that leads to like kind of other holidays like all the holidays kind of interacting with each other now and like kind of like the separation has kind of like been blurred or are they actually rigorously going to stick to no this is your area this is your town you stick to it that'd be really interesting to see in my opinion yeah, I think at the end, uh, Sandy Claus's uh, message to Jack is, <laughs> it, it's literally, hey, stick to your own thing. This is ours. Don't mess yeah. with anyone else's holiday. I also could see that something they'd just throw away in the sequel. Yeah, I, I could see them having like a uh, a meeting of the holidays, yeah. kind of like the exactly. Santa Claus with uh, um, yeah. Tim Allen. Yes. Uh, uh, and have them like talk things out and and maybe there's some kind of uh, disagreement in there like you see with Jack Frost in that other movie yeah um so there could be something there as well I'm, I'm right there with you 
yeah, there, there's a lot of ways they could go. One final thing that I want to talk about, at least, this is something I want to talk about, like, with all the Halloween movies I do, just, like, the film's Halloween, I mean, I guess Christmas, too, but the Halloween atmosphere and, like, its unique take on the Halloween atmosphere, because, like, it's very much, like, B-movie, like, 1950s B-movie horror like with all these like you know like the monster from the black lagoon and this all these like budget like not really budget but it's like yeah b-movie horror i just love like that whole aesthetic in halloween town oh yeah i'm right there with you absolutely love it um it's it's not really something we've seen before or since yeah like combining halloween and christmas like it's everyone is very much of the mind hey halloween is the best no christmas is the best and mm-hmm there's no really in between there it's always one or the other is the best and this story is like hey both of these are pretty great let's combine them and see what kind of chaos we can cause yeah because like they really are like how do i describe this they're the only holidays halloween christmas that really just like have a specific atmosphere about them like obviously you get holidays like easter thanksgiving all that but like you, you know you don't see full displays of like decorations for those holidays like you do like you get a whole halloween section i mean we get a whole halloween store um every year um mm-hmm. we have like christmas decorations like the way it, like both halloween and christmas just create this like full encompassing atmosphere it's just you know something we don't get from other holidays and especially the fact that they are so close to each other too and like in their placement of the year is just like even more interesting because like they're always just encroaching on each other mm-hmm. absolutely it a lot of people and that's another thing about this uh movie is i think a lot of people especially halloween fans they think of christmas taking over halloween every year because of that mm-hmm. the the store thing uh christmas decorations going up before halloween's even over nowadays we see it yeah this movie really flips it on the side like hey you know what now halloween's taking over christmas this time yeah you always see those people like complaining it's like uh christmas decorations up like it's not even thanksgiving yet or it's like halloween's not even over and yeah it's kind of like funny the opposite about that i personally am very much the person like the meme where it's like um it's like october 31st it's jack skellington and then november 1st it's jack skellington as santa claus like that very much (laughs) is me like i go all in on halloween like um basically i mean at this point i'm all in on halloween but like september 1st I basically go all in on Halloween. Like I listen to my Halloween music. I watch Halloween movies, but then like once November starts, I go all in on Christmas. So like I live them both. I always flip flop between what's my favorite. It probably is Halloween is my favorite holiday, but like, I am very much like, I mean, I love them both. I love like all the atmosphere of both. Like I love, love like the spooky, scary atmosphere of Halloween. And then like just the, joy comforting atmosphere of christmas and this is like the perfect combination of them both uh i'm i actually hate christmas (laughs) i despise it i don't like it at all but i love halloween um halloween is great because it's just it's a time for fun yeah that's really what it is um i'm i'm a very uh introverted person so Mm -hmm. getting together and with people and everything is just not my favorite thing yeah um with christmas uh but yeah i i love the tones of this movie and i i love it it, how it is essentially halloween's revenge yeah the store takeover Uh, hey that's that'll actually be the sequel is santa like snapping and being like wait now i'm gonna take over halloween it's jack and sally preparing for next halloween they look out into the horizon and just an army of elves come over the hill (laughs) i mean i 
I, I think we've gone through about everything you can with this movie. Um, yeah, it's it's my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. That's really all I got. Um, I highly recommend watching Prop Culture. Yes. I also highly recommend looking up the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas live performance we were talking about. Uh, Nightmare Revisited for some awesome covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fall Out Boy. Uh, there's uh, Evanescence is in there. Um, yeah, it's just the whole thing around Nightmare Before Christmas, even though we haven't seen a new movie or I'll, I'll say canon uh, releases since 1993. Yeah. And it's still just a, it's such a special movie for so many people. Yeah, um, it, it's it's just something you don't see in. Movies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's also a very timeless movie, honestly. It's like mm-hmm. with its tone and aesthetic and just everything. It's ve- and songs. It's very timeless. I mean, obviously, like stop motion has improved since 1993, but like it still holds up just as well as it did. I mean, I'm assuming it holds up just as well as it did back then. I wasn't alive, but it still holds up today. That is going to be it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me, John. And before we go, is there anything you would like to plug or just final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Aiden. Uh, it's course. been a while since we talked. Uh, I know. But I'm John Hansen. Uh, you can find my own podcast, uh, Pixel Street Podcast, in fact, on YouTube, Spotify, and everything. You can follow us on Twitter at Pixel Street. We talk about video games. Uh, we we don't get into movies, really, unless there's mm-hmm. a video game movie, but we talk about it a lot. Uh, also, I write about video games for GamePer.com. Uh, I go over guides and some features. Uh, I talk a lot about Call of Duty Zombies lately. That's really been my thing, uh, and also Back for Blood. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Very seasonally appropriate. Absolutely. I did play the Back for Blood demo, because I'm a big Left for Dead fan, so I played oh, the Back too. for Blood beta, and I was like... I, I was like, oh, this feels just like Left 4 Dead. Yep. Yep. It's beautiful. If you want to follow the show, you can follow us at Disney Vaultcast. I am on Twitter at Aiden Simons. I'm also on Twitch at Aiden underscore plays games. And please rate us five stars on iTunes or else Jack Skellington will leave a giant snake in your living room. And <laughs> it's going to eat your Christmas tree. Exactly. So you'd better do it. And And I will see you next time. Bye.